Well, morning church. Morning room. <laughs> Lovely to be with you. I love this church. You know, I love I love being led by the band. Thank you guys. It was amazing. I love hearing from Matt, um, who we sent out serving overseas. Um, it's brilliant, isn't it? It's amazing to think that my children are being taught so well and being taken care of um, in Sunday school this morning. It's um, it's brilliant. It's lovely. Um, and now you've got me, so sorry about that, but here we go. <laughs> so I'm Ruth, um, I'm one of the elders here, um, and very occasionally um, I stand up here and do a preach, so that's what we're doing um, this morning. Although I feel like we've already heard so many good things from God this morning, and we've already worshipped, and I've already met with him in an amazing way. So um, Holy Spirit, we just invite you, uh, if there's anything you want to say this morning, Lord, you do it. Um, and thank you, Matt, for not stealing the clicker. Well done. <laughs> it, it regularly goes missing, so it's good. We've got it. <laughs> there, was, um, there was a few different titles knocking around for, um, for this sermon this morning. And um, this is the one that I've landed on. Knowing who you're not and knowing who he is. So that's where we're going. Hold that in your head this morning. That's where we're going. That's what we're looking at. I wonder, um, maybe think about you as a child, or maybe think back um, to a child that you know, maybe, um, and when they do something wrong, or when you did something wrong when you were a child, um, how did you handle it? What was your, <laughs> your go to mechanism? Um, me, I was a liar, I would do my best to lie my way out of anything. How did that lipstick get on your sister's bed roof? Oh, it must have fallen out of somebody's hand and smushed all over the bed sheet. <laughs> And hopefully that would be believable, but clearly um, children's lives rarely are, are they? I can distinctly remember going into a shop in the high street and stealing a pack of stickers and putting them in my pocket. I know, I know, such a bad girl. And um, and mum obviously finding them in my pocket and being like, how did they get in there? Oh, they must have fallen in. Mm, Yes, no. (laughs) Took me a long time to learn um, to take responsibility for the stuff that I'd done wrong. Um, One of my girls, I won't tell you which one, um, when she's preparing to do something naughty, um, she says, mummy, don't look. (laughs) And as soon as she says, mummy, don't look, I know. So I'm like, what are you going to do? She's like, just don't look. And I'm like, okay. Normally it involves shoving a whole pack of sweets in her mouth at one go and then showing it to me um, or something like that. Mummy, don't look. But I wonder, it's easy to think about children doing something wrong because they do it quite blatantly, don't they? And then as we mature and as, as we grow older, um, how we handle that tends to, tends to change um, and tends to be a little bit more on the inside, doesn't it? Um, and where we're going today, we're, we're looking at the people of Israel as they think about um, some of the stuff that they've done wrong and that their, their ancestors have done wrong. And it's kind of looking in this chapter of Nehemiah about how they handle it. Um, but first, I want a quick recap of chapter 8 because I was a little bit disappointed not to be the one preaching on chapter 8 because that is a good chapter and I have struggled a bit with this one. So next time, chapter 8, please. But a recap of chapter 8 takes place in the seventh month um, of the year, and that's just like chapter nine. So the two, uh, these two chapters of Nehemiah are really close together. Um, the faithful people of Jerusalem, our wall builders, they've all gathered together to listen to Ezra, who's the priest, and he's reading from the law of Moses. That was given to the Israelite people about a thousand years before this bit in Nehemiah to show the best way that God wanted them to live to keep in good relationship with him and to be a shining light to the nations around them. 
And as the people listen, they become very aware of how far they've fallen from that best way of living. And they begin to weep and mourn. They feel really sad. They're really convicted about what they've heard. But in Nehemiah 8, 9 to 11, they're told by Nehemiah, who's the governor, so he's kind of in charge, and by Ezra, who's the priest, they're told, don't warn or meet or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. And Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast of rich food and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a holy and sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Some of you might have heard that verse before. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So the people went away to eat and drink a festive meal, to share gifts of food and celebrate with great joy because they'd heard God's words and they understood them. That day was not the time for grieving. Chapter 8, not the time for grieving. Not for looking back, not for feeling sad. Because the very next day after that, they discover that in the law that was given to Moses a thousand years before, it says they are to celebrate a festival, a festival of booths called Sukkot in Hebrew. And that was centred around God's provision and God's presence in that seventh month. And so the people did that for the first time in around 900 years since Joshua was their leader. They celebrate that festival about God's provision and God's presence, not feeling sad. But 17 days later is where we start chapter 9. And this time, it is the time, the appropriate time, for confessing, for looking back, for the people owning their sin. First, the worship needed to happen. Eyes lifted first to God. It's a bit like Ecclesiastes 3, for everything there is a season, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. With our eyes fixed on God, we can have perfect peace to trust him to walk everything through with us in its right place. I don't know if you're a bit like this, but sometimes when I'm, when I'm in worship and I'm really turning my eyes to God, I get sometimes an overwhelming sense of, of kind of sadness, of that awareness of the things that I am not. But actually, what, what he's really gently teaching me is to have turned that into an overwhelming sense of who he is. It's not focusing on me in worship and and my failings, but focusing, fixing my eyes on him, who he is. So that's where we are, knowing who you're not and knowing who he is. Okay, so if you've got chapter 9, you might want to turn to it. I'm just going to read the first three verses. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads and the Israelites' sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. And for another quarter of it, they made confession and worshipped the Lord, their God. So this is the people of God owning their sin together. They have an attitude of humility. They've got a right attitude towards what's going on. They're dressed in sackcloth, which was itchy. They were clothing themselves in discomfort. That was the idea. And they've put earth or dirt on their heads, an outside symbol of inside dirt. The message is, I know I'm a mess, but I wish I had some help. I'm uncomfortable because I acknowledge that sin does exist in my life. So 
Sometimes we find we've become comfortable in our own sin, enjoying it, living in it, forgetting that God's got better plans for our life than to stay doing or thinking the thing that isn't right. Now, we don't necessarily need to throw on itchy sackcloth today. That probably wouldn't mean a lot, walking down Billericay High Street, would it? We don't need to put dirt on our heads. But it is right to allow ourselves times of discomfort and awareness. If we're comfortable in our sin, then we're desensitised to the one who created us. We have to be able to acknowledge mess in our lives and then ask for God's help and cleansing. It's a bit like walking into a room and holding a can of paint. Some of you are already stressed out seeing that image. (laughs) And spilling it everywhere. And then continuing to walk through the paint and around the room. It's getting worse, isn't it? You could ask the cleaner to come and help you clean it up and restore the room, but you'd have to admit that you spilt it. So you leave it, but it's impossible to avoid. And then you invite others into the room too, still without cleaning up the paint. What a mess. <laughs> in verse 2 and 3 of chapter 9, we're told the people confessed the ways in which they and the generations before them had turned away from God. The Hebrew root of the word confession means to cast off or throw off. We can throw our sins to God in order to get them away from ourselves. He invites us to do that. Confession also means to declare, to tell it fully. It means admitting that you are wrong and not someone else. In the case of our spilt paint, it's seeking out the cleaner and admitting, I spilt some paint, I'm so sorry. Please can you clean it up and I'll help if I can. There can be a temptation, can't there, to cover up our wrongdoing. Um, Someone spilt some paint? Can you fix it? Or sometimes we might apologise like, I'm sorry the spilt paint makes you feel bad, but... (laughs) That's not truly valuing the relationship that we can have with God or others, is it? Honouring God and others above ourselves means making an effort to pinpoint exactly what we are sorry for and holding nothing and no one responsible except ourselves. In verse 3, the people spend a quarter of the day learning about God from the book of the law and then a quarter of the day confessing and worshipping. As the reading happened, the people would have seen the gaps in their lives compared to God's best way. Sometimes when you suddenly become aware of your sin, it can be overwhelming to see how far you've strayed. But, thank God, we've got the best cleaner in the world. (laughs) That's Jesus, in case you're wondering. No, I don't have a really good home cleaner. Jesus, Jesus is the one. (laughs) He makes it good. Now, I really hope that you've not heard from me so far. Um, It's super important to be mindful that you're always a sinner, full of wrong things, and you are a worm on the ground. (laughs) Let's keep in mind that the Bible says when we're in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we are no longer sinners. We are washed clean and righteous through the Holy Spirit. Okay, now, I normally, um, I've spent a lot of my time, my talking life, um, talking to children and um, young people, and they don't have faces like yours. They have faces that say what they're thinking. So I'm just going to read that bit again. And if your face wants to show me what you're thinking about that, you can, you can do it on your face. 
Let's keep in mind that the Bible says when we're in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we are no longer sinners. We're washed clean and righteous through the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Well done, adults. I'm proud of you. (laughs) If we focus on our sin all the time, it might look like humility, but it's actually pride. Thinking that God is not loving enough to deal with our mess or powerful and able enough to do anything about it. Plus, we'd be sad all the time if we thought about how bad we were all the time, wouldn't we? But instead, we need to focus on God in the midst of our sin. And moving on in chapter 9, that's what the people of Israel do. So we're going to look at verses 5 to 7. Then the Levites said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abraham and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. I wonder, when you're praising and worshipping, do you find it easier to um, think about the great things that God has done or about the greatness of God's character, who he is? Um, A few summers ago, I well, quite a few summers ago now, um, I had a... um, a bad problem with my eyes. I developed sudden double vision, and it was um, it was it was bad, and um, I felt really ill with it as well. Um, and I'd experienced God as healer in my life previously. I knew that's that's what He could do and who He was. So I set about praying, you know, every day in, in my feeling poorly and in my not being able to see well at all. Um, God, can you just heal me? God, can you just heal me? I know that you can do that. Can you heal me? Do that. Heal me. Do it now. Why haven't you done it yet? Do it. (laughs) I've asked you like a million times. It's been like four weeks. Do it. Do it now. And I had um, things that I had to cancel. Um, Supposed to speak at um, Suffolk camp. Supposed to speak at youth camp, which I did manage to do in the end. Um, All through that summer. And um, it was not, not a happy time. Not a restful time. And eventually... Thank you, Lord. He actually did heal me. (laughs) It was incredible and it was amazing. Um, But the thing that I learned from that and the thing I became really aware of when I was in that kind of restful time afterwards when you can reflect and look back was I'd, I'd gone after what I knew he could do for me. I'd gone after the works that God could do. And I had faith that he could do that. But what I'd forgotten was actually who he is. And my experience of him doesn't change who he says he is. If I believe what's in the Bible, which I do, then what I'm experiencing on a day-to-day basis doesn't have any impact on his character and who he says he is. That was a massive lesson for me and something I'm still walking out today. Something bad will happen or I'll do something wrong. Oh, God, right, you've got to to do this. This is how you you are, right? Do that, do that, do that. No, hold on. Thank him for who he is. Look with expectation. Attach some faith to what you actually believe about him. That's what I'm learning. In this passage, the Levites lead the people really well. They're aware of the people's history of rebellion, but they're keeping the focus on the goodness of God, that he is Lord, almighty, creator, everlasting to everlasting, 
glorious and in charge. It's so good to thank God for what he's done, but if we only ever praise him for what he's done, we miss out on what he is doing and what he will do. We're called believers, yeah? Believers, (laughs) not just seers, feelers, believers. There are times in our life when we need to believe the truth about who God is, regardless of our situations, flying in the face of what we see with our eyes. My experience doesn't change who he says he is. And did you notice that little bit at the beginning of verse 7, that he is the God who chose Abraham? We have a God who chooses relationship with us. We have a God who comes near. Oh, that's like that bit from Godly Play, isn't it? God came near to Abraham and Abraham came near to God. God chose Abraham, whose name is later changed to Abraham, and he made an unconditional covenant with him, a wholehearted, unrestricted promise to be faithful to Abraham and his descendants. Now, um, verse 8 to 25, I'm I'm not going to read, and it lists the way that the um, people experienced the faithfulness of God and the miracles that God used to keep his promise that he'd made to Abraham and the people of Israel. Um, So instead of reading it, I've put up a little image bingo for you on the screen. You can have a little look. Um, Some of the amazing stories of um, God's provision for the people. Um, Hopefully you can tell what some of those are. Um, If you've been a Christian for a while and you've been reading your Bible for a long time, you probably know most of those stories. If this is quite new to you, the first five books of the Bible, um, you'll find some of these things. Um, Amazing provision, when not necessarily when the people had earned it or deserved it, but just because God had made a faithful promise. Interspersed through these reminders in those verses, the Levites recount the unfaithfulness of their ancestors and the previous generations. They're continuing what they started in verse 2 of this chapter. They're confessing the sins of those before them and themselves. They're lamenting and owning their mess. But in contrast to so many times we've seen with them in the past, they're keeping their eyes fixed on the main thing. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and you did not forsake them. That's what verse 17 says. And if we come back to the title at the beginning of this talk, um, knowing who you're not and knowing who he is. Knowing who you're not, knowing who he is. You are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and you did not forsake them. You are not God. Sorry if that's what you woke up thinking this morning. You are not God. You are not perfect. You're not without responsibility when you mess up. You are not owed anything by God. But you are also not a worm. You are not forsaken or abandoned by God. He is the God who chose you in love, who forgives all your mistakes and mess-ups, all of them. He is faithful and full of grace, power and love. 
Know who you're not, but know who he is. And right at the end of this chapter, verse 38, the people choose to make a covenant with God. This is an important rededication of themselves back into right relationship with him. Not to replace God's unconditional covenant that's already been made, but to fulfil it and walk in the ways of it. And later, of course, with Jesus, we see God reinforcing that unconditional covenant that's been made. And I just wonder for us, as as I finish this message, and guys, do you want to come up? Um, I wonder for us, is there a a promise that you want to make with God this morning? Is there a covenant? Is there a rededication that you want to make back to him? Is there a... Is there a way that you want to remind yourself, I know who I'm not, but I'm going to keep my eyes fixed and I know who he is? Maybe as we worship, you can work that over with God as you put your eyes to him. And and just one last point that I want you to to hold in your head and finish with, um, because I don't think anybody's told you this yet, and we've been studying Nehemiah for nine chapters. Do you know what the name Nehemiah means? It means comforter. It means God comforts. Comforter. And there's something incredible about Nehemiah's story. The people have been trying to establish a town, a city in Jerusalem for, for years since, since the first exiles had returned from Persia. And Nehemiah comes and it's the right time and the job gets done in just over 50 days. There's something about the presence of the comforter that means stuff gets done in God's time. And as you know, well, you might not know, the Holy Spirit later in the New Testament is called the comforter, God comforts. And when I look back over the times in my life where I have struggled, be it that I've done something wrong or something has happened to me, It's been the times where I'm just, I'm way over here telling God what he should be doing (laughs) or ignoring him. (laughs) My eyes are not fixed on him. There's something about being in the direction and the leading of the comforter of the Holy Spirit that brings everything together in his right time. Thanks, guys.